Um, we'll just get straight into it. Acts chapter 14. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but in certain parts of our earth, in certain parts of our world, there have been what's been called, like infamously titled, the Badlands. Anybody heard of the Badlands that run across our world? No? Caleb, cool. So they're called the Badlands. These are a type of um, dry, like eroded terrain. Uh, they're crowded with like these steep slopes. There's a lot of like volcanic rock. There's deep canyons. There's razor, razor sharp edges and, and, and ridges. And essentially, there's a lot of deep gullies. And these are called the Badlands. And they are almost nearly impossible to navigate by foot. And as I was reading about their locations, uh, I got caught up one day, and you just start clicking every link, everything that's, you know, color blue. I just kept getting into the rabbit hole. And so I kept understanding and reading more and more about their erosion process. I kept reading about the different ones that are in our country. To me, though, what I found most intriguing about the Badlands is that many, hundreds and thousands every year come and visit. But I was reading about who actually hiked them or who would travel through them, and it was pretty rare. The number was pretty rare. Only a few would actually go through the Badlands. Now, much like our journey of the Christian faith, there are these lush terrains of, of, of greenery and grassy knolls and peaceful flowing streams, but on this journey, on this pilgrimage, we must, be, we must expect to cross the Badlands. We must expect to hike the Badlands. And actually, often between mountaintop experience and mountaintop experience are often acres of Badlands. Now, these are the places, we'll try to make it even more clear this illustration. These are the places within a Christian walk, journey, whatever you want to call it, that are often difficult to navigate. These are the times in a Christian's life that are painful, the, it, it, it's, it's unstable. It's rocky. And tonight I know some of you, and I know for a fact, maybe even just more than some, are trekking through their own badlands even in this moment where everything in life can be described as horrible or this is garbage or life sucks here. There are these jagged edges that have to do with work or vocation. There's these deep slopes that have to do with relationships and the complications there. There's the, you know, the gullies of reconciliation. Now, obviously, hardships and tribulations and badlands aren't something, and I get this, this is not something just Christians experience. This is not something that just Christians can lay claim over. This is something every single man or woman, Christian or not, will encounter. We will all encounter a bad lands. So then what we have to at least discover tonight is what makes Christianity unique. What makes Christianity unique when it comes to the hardships and suffering and tribulations? Again, if you think about it, atheism has um, nothing to really say about suffering. Buddhism and karma believe it's appropriate and right New Age would push for us to have mind over matter. Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Science, would have us to see pain as an illusion. And others would just simply push for us to, to medicate it or to try and escape it. So then what about Christianity? 
What about the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about tribulations? Well, if you were to flip through the Bible's many, many, many pages, it's brimming with narrations of men and women who have encountered all sorts of trials, tribulations in their own bad lands. But only a few of them, only a few, only a handful have the notches on their belt like the Apostle Paul. And it's this very Apostle Paul who has words and solutions to our hardships, to our badlands. Paul the Apostle has a word for those who tonight are trekking through the horribles. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul, he is a predominant figure in the New Testament portion of the Bible. He was a man who once arrested and beat and slaughtered Christians. I mean, for the early church, there was no separation of thought between persecution and Paul. I mean, they were like peanut butter and jelly, persecution and Paul. But as he is on his way in Acts chapter 9, as we saw many chapters ago, as he was on his way to continue in his butchering, he converged with Jesus Christ. He crashed into Jesus Christ, and Christ gets a hold of his life and turns it inside out. And God, in his amazing grace, not only saves him, but he actually decides to use him. And he goes from persecution to preaching, and he goes from slaughter to ministry, and he goes from stoning Christians to serving Christians. And as the years go by, he, comes, he becomes one of these spearheads who are starting churches, like this church, starting churches all over the place. And he goes on these giant, like, missional ministry excursions. And it's actually here in one of these missional excursions where we see quite vividly a hardship uh, notch, a tribulation notch scratched onto his belt. And we're going to see in just a moment a very intense um, endurance that Paul is about to experience, that Paul will go through. Look at verse 19. We're going to see Paul in a bad land. And some of the Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. If you remember last week, Paul just got done preaching. Paul just got done explaining what it means to be grateful for this and this and this. And what did they start doing to him? Remember? What did the people of Lystra start doing? They started to worship him. They started to worship him. And so we go from worship of Paul to what did we just read? They stoned him and dragged him out and assumed that he was dead. And for people to actually believe he is dead does not mean then that they grabbed some pebbles, threw it at his forehead, and like, I hope he leaves. This is very serious. These Jewish executioners, many commentaries would believe, um, followed Paul and Barnabas over a hundred miles. These people who just showed up in Lystra, they believed that they followed him for a hundred miles undoing all the Jesus ministry that he was just doing, that him and Barnabas were just doing, undoing all the gospel ministry that these guys just did. And all of that leading to this moment, a stoning. Now, stoning was an extreme form of execution. Um, It was the slow, long, laborious form of torture. I don't know if anybody's read anything on stoning, I read about it this week to try to explain it to my friends here. Don't Google image it. It was, it was rough. This is very serious stuff. Uh, the persecutors would take heavy stones and they would aim for the head and if, to, to really end it quicker if the person wasn't already 
um, had already passed away, they would take the largest dough they could find and drop it on their chest to just end it immediately. If it was premeditated enough for stoning, which I don't believe this was, as these people started to show up and undo, but if it was premeditated, they eventually they would put them into a vertical grave where all that was showing was their head outside of the dirt, and then they would stone and stone and stone. Now, I'm not trying to be graphic for graphic sakes, but I do want us to see the intensity, to be aware of just how intense this violent action was against our friend Paul. Paul, a man very, very familiar with stoning, right? If you are familiar with Paul's story, then you are familiar with what happened just a few chapters ago. Paul is no, uh, he is no novice to stoning. See, for those of you who know a story, do you think, if you know a story, do you think that Stephen's white, angelic, glowing face flashed through Paul's mind as he is being stoned? Stephen, the man Paul stoned before he met Christ. Do you think he heard Stephen's words? Do you think he remembered Stephen's love for him? And so again, here Paul knows what it's like for the very first time um, in such dread to be, to be the hunted. See, Paul's a man who knows every nook and cranny of the Badlands. Paul knows every rock and canyon of hardship. Listen to these words he would later write about himself, and I'm gonna read it from a different translation, if that's okay. It should be on the screen. Um, this is Paul talking about himself. I've worked much harder. I've been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rod three times, pummeled with rocks once. That sounds familiar. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling near in and out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sea and sea storm. I've been betrayed by those who I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely nights without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, when someone gets to the end of their rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. If I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. Um, there was a comedian once who was explaining how pointless life stories are or how pointless it is to tell our life stories in a circle where an astronaut is present. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Essentially, it would be like this. Well, the other day I had a chance to visit. Really? That ain't nothing. I landed on the moon. Like the whole point was I walked on the moon. Well, I got to backpack your... That ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. And essentially, the whole idea is the whole idea is that you will be topped every time in a dinner party when an astronaut is present. I want to make that same comparison here with Paul. That Paul is much like an astronaut at a dinner party. He will top us every time when we try to explain our hardships, he will top us every time when we try to explain our tribulations. But what I really want us to see tonight in this quiet Thanksgiving weekend is what happens next. This is, this is the main part I want us to see. Because as we alluded to, hardships and tribulations and pain and trials, yes, they are the badlands of life. They are to be expected. 
They are already determined by this life. What's not determined is our response. What's not determined is our response. Will we come and turn away or will we cross the badlands as we were talking about? Let's see Paul's response. This is what I want us to connect with here. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. What? As the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. 1700s theologian John Wesley said very simply, always look your mob in the face. So imagine this. Paul, I would assume, is caked in mud and in blood. Paul essentially cancels his own funeral and he stands up on his aching, possibly broken limbs and limps back into the very town filled with the very residents which just attempted his murder. So he didn't flee. Paul didn't file charges. Paul didn't seek revenge. He crosses, he crossed the badlands. Friends here tonight, either Christian or not, when life gets hard, when those tribulations come, is your proclivity to fight or is it to flight? When life becomes too much, do we peace out or do we persevere? I was reading an author recently who described two types of Christians. He said there are two types of Christians. For those here who aren't believers of Jesus and don't believe in God, I am assuming that this can also frustrate you about those who do profess Christianity. So the author said that there is one, a tourist, describes one type of Christian as a tourist. So this is the type of man or woman whose faith um, is at their leisure. The community of God, church, is at their leisure. They visit only the attractive parts of life and Christianity. See, much like the tourists we were talking about with the Badlands at the national parks. See, the touring rather than dwelling, staying in when storms arise, and packing bags when it's not going well. I was thinking of um, New York pastor Tim Keller's quote when he says, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger to the cross. So that's tourism. It's Christian tourism. So this author explained that there's Christian tourism, but then there's also Christian pilgrims. There are pilgrims. You see, it's enduring badlands that define a pilgrim. To endure and persevere and fight on in a badland defines a pilgrim. It's endless green valleys, it's peaceful streams that define a tourist. But pilgrims are people who spend their lives going someplace, holding fast to their destination through rain or shine. Pilgrims realize in both green pastures and in badlands that the world is not our home, that we're being backward, you know, beckoned onward. Essentially, pilgrims just do not quit. Pilgrims don't quit. Pilgrims don't quit. Pilgrims do not quit when things do not go their way. Pollard's here, at least in my opinion, is an inspiring and daunting model of what a pilgrim, a Christian pilgrim should be. I want us to get this. The authors of scripture, the Bible, 
know that hardships can either bind you closer to God or they can rip you from God. Tribulations can either bind you to God or they can rip you from God. These are essentially the only real outcomes. It's rare to have a conversation with somebody who's like, nope, life sucks, and I'm totally indifferent towards this God. That is very, very rare. And this is even true for those who do not profess Christianity. Again, for those here tonight. Tribulations help you realize that I do not have it all together. I'm not in control, and I what? I need a rescuer. I need a savior. Or they will set you adrift in the sea of resentment and bitterness and anger towards God. Now, I want us to see something. This is so unbelievably crucial. And it's a theme in the New Testament letters, always with their conclusion. I'm only going to read a handful, but it seems almost every conclusion of a letter in the New Testament has an exhortation to every single pilgrim out there. If you consider yourself a pilgrim, or even if you're a tourist or whatever, this is an exhortation to you, to me. It's an exhortation to fight on, keep going, so on and so forth. So I want to shotgun blast these verses out there, and I want them to, I'd love for you to let them pound into your chest, but let these sink in, especially if you're going through the badlands right now. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Ephesians 6, 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 2 Thessalonians 3, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of the faith. And it goes on and on and on. And as you just think about it, why in the world are there a million biblical exhortations to not give up? Do not quit on the faith. Do not quit on the church. Do not quit on God. Do not quit on one another. Why are there a million exhortations to do this? Because there are a bajillion reasons and temptations to quit. There are temptations everywhere to give up on God, to give up on this, to just abandon the trail, to turn around, to get in the fetal position and cry and watch the notebook and journal, whatever it could possibly be. Because life, life is easier as a tourist. It is so much easier. It makes sense in our culture and our time to pursue whatever's the easiest or the most comfortable. Tourism is easy in the life of Christianity. Absolutely easy. Again, the words of Jesus himself, Luke 21. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Not by your comfortability, not by you chillaxing, not by you just having a plate of nachos by the river. I don't know if anybody does that. Some of you, some of you even just right now, again, some of you in this moment are so tempted to quit. And I was just thinking, I mean, just to make sure that we understand this idea of quitting, it's this Rubik's Cube of sorts. It's this Rubik's Cube that could be to deny God or to disregard God or to simply just even just disobey God. And we can do that again by the rejection of the church all the way to rejection of God himself. And in all of that, in that temptation to do that, what we're seeing from everything we just read is Paul 
the man who was just stoned would grab us by the collar and says, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. Fight, fight, fight. How many of us right now need to be grabbed by the collar and say, do not grow weary? You know, it would do us good to remember Chumbawamba. <laughs> and their sweet, sweet words they sing to us in the 90s. I get knocked down and what? But I get up again. There's so much theology and beauty in those words. But stupid joke. That was stupid. I've been waiting 20 years to talk about Chumbawamba from the stage. 20 years. But... In all seriousness, if we actually, I mean, I, if I've had the wonderful and humble opportunity to be in ministry since, I think, the year Chumbawamba came out with that album, if I have had the opportunity to be in some shape or form of ministry since then, I have seen, um, I have seen countless, countless, honestly, I couldn't even tell you the amount of brothers and sisters turn their face from Jesus, from the destination, and walk off into the dark. I mean, it, 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 it's heartbreak and it's heart shatter after heart shattering moment after heart shattering moment of men and women who were once alongside of me in the Badlands and now are either tourists or they have just simply disappeared. Or I see a picture on Instagram and I go, what? What has happened? Where have you gone? What are you doing? I remember that, that beautiful portion of, of the gospel of John in the New Testament where Jesus just gets done doing an incredible miracle, an incredible miracle. He's caring for people and he's feeding people and he's loving on people. And then at the end of it, he delivers a harsh truth. And the majority of the people stood up and they walked out. And Jesus looks at a small handful and you know what he says? Are you going to go too? Are you going to leave me as well? But the disciples, God bless Peter, it's one of those things where it's like, where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And this really should do something for our hearts and for our thoughts when we consider suffering or tribulations or being stoned, like all that stuff that we're reading with Paul right now. For those who do not have God in their life, do not have Jesus in your life, where do you go? I ask this, and I try to ask this as much as possible for those who push and reject Christianity and are in a time of tribulation. My first question is, where, where are you going? Jesus would ask the very same question. And Jesus very much in that moment separated tourists from pilgrims. Oh, you're here because you like the whole bread, fish thing. No, no, that's not what I'm about. This is not just about miracles. I even know why I'm not here. <laughs> My heart has just been so, I've been so rocked this month of seeing harsh truth delivered and people go, I'm, like, I'm, I'm not a pilgrim. I want to be a Christian. People are just throwing in the towel. 
Because again, it's tempting. It's tempting to leave. It's tempting to quit when things aren't going our way, right? When things aren't going our way, it is so tempting to give up. But if we think about it, that's what hardships do. They expose and uncover and reveal that everything can't go our way. You see, every affliction, every affliction that you and I will experience, no matter the size, I banged my toe today on a table. I thought it was going to be the end of the world. I must have asked my poor wife. I sat there for two and a half hours in tears. Every affliction, from the stupidest of toe banging to the biggest of problems in the world, expose our morality, they expose our lack of control, and they expose our greatest need. Every tribulation. So we need to find out what is that great need in times of tribulations. What does Paul tell us? What are his encouraging words to those who need endurance? Look at verse 23. Let's see what Paul says. Call, you know, Barnabas and Paul, they've left Lystra and they're sort of like boomeranging like back through the churches that they have started and planted. So they're, all the churches that they've established, they're coming back through on their way home. Verse 23, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fast and they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia and Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and went down to Adelaide. Finally, they returned to the ship to Antioch of Syria, where, they re, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they had now completed. So I want us to set this up. They're on their way back, and Paul and Barnabas, they only get a short amount of time. The whole thing took about two years, but they only get a short amount of time with each one of these churches. Paul and Barnabas had no idea if he was going to ever see these churches again, if he would ever see these Christians again. He didn't know what would become of their faith. He didn't know if a wolf would come in and devour. He didn't know if the following day, these men and these women in front of him were going to be stoned. And his departing words, Paul could have said anything. Read the Bible every day. Do something. You pray every day. Paul's departing words, all he knows, these could be his final words. His charge is this. Verse 21, after preaching the good news in Derby. And making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. And here it is, Paul's final words. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is what he tells them? These are his last words? This is what he's trying to do, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul is seeking, seeking to strengthen our souls. Paul is saying, continue, continue, continue. Because why? Again, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Friends, everybody here, I believe this is the key that opens our understanding of what we are to do when we just want to give up. I think Paul's words here is the key. See, when we want to give up on the church or Jesus or faith, we are to, in that moment, set our hearts. We are to set our hearts. Basically, we are to shift our point of gravity. 
to relocate our destination because I don't know about you, but every time something doesn't go my way, my heart wants to go east, my heart wants to go west, my heart wants to go south. I'm all over the place. So here's what I mean. Here's the key to understanding. Here's our north when, in, when we are in the badlands. And this is given to us by Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I don't know if you've been around the church for a really long time. I don't know if you guys have been part of Sunday school where, you know, this was flannel graphed and kids wrote this on paper plates. I don't know if you've seen this verse a million times. I, as a pastor, have, and I often, often forget it when I am in the midst of tribulation or when I'm venturing through badlands. But Jesus is telling us right here, seek the place where I, as victorious king, dwell. Seek the place where I am. Seek the place where triumph is. Seek the kingdom of God. When we are in tribulations, when we are in the badlands, do not just seek a way out. I don't see anywhere in the Bible, anywhere where it says, if life stinks, here's a shortcut. It does not exist. It does not exist. It says, no, 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 in the midst of it, seek his kingdom, seek his kingdom, seek his kingdom. See, are we seeing the unity of Paul's words and of Jesus's words? Paul is telling us, in hardships, remember the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us, in hardships, remember to seek the kingdom of God. Again, it's, it's, it's basically this. Remember who sits on the throne. The kingdom of God basically means somebody is reigning. In tribulations, remember the one who sits on the throne. Remember the king. Remember the king. So what that means is to hold fast is not the change of activities. It's not the change of scenery. It's not the change of communities. It's not the change of location. It's not the change of a church. It's not the change of leadership. And it's not the change of friends. It's a change of heart. Getting our hearts higher than earthly circumstances. See, nothing in Christ's words or Paul's words are about simply getting to the other side of the badlands. It's not about teleportation, it's not about shortcuts, it's not about another way. None of that. And friends, I want this, I would love for this to be like embroidered on our hearts and on our thoughts. This is a cosmic lesson that we must learn in all suffering and in all tribulations. When we are in all suffering and all tribulations and walking through the badlands, it's not about finding joy and relief and happiness and resolve at the end of our suffering, but it's about finding it in the very midst. That's what faith is about, right? Isn't that what faith is about? thinking, I mean, doesn't faith under fire become significant and prove its value under stress and hardship? It can at times be hard when everything is just sunny and bright. But when things are dark, faith is the lantern on our journey. But in tribulations, as Paul is saying, is when our faith gets put to work. And I don't know about you, but I hate it. Holy smokes, I hate it. I hate when my faith is, you feel like your faith is employed to a greater level in those moments. 
It's almost a litmus test of, like, of your faith. When hardships come, okay, let's see where I'm really at with this. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's pilgrimage. It's a faith to believe that as you're in the midst of it, it's a faith to believe that triumph exists where Jesus is. No, triumph exists and victory exists where Jesus is. And Jesus is not on the other side of the badlands. Jesus doesn't point the way. No, that's where you want to go. Jesus guides and leads the way. My favorite part of my favorite psalm, Psalm 23, goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so even though I walk through the badlands, I will fear no evil. Why? Because I've got a gun. Why? Because I've got a monster with me or something on my side or a bodyguard. What, no, what is it? No, for you are with me. When um, one of Christ's disciples in the Gospels got very anxious and he got very nervous about where to go, about what to do in the Badlands, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Another translation puts it, we do not know the road to take. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. He was, I am the way. No, 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 I am the truth. I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Nobody gets to the kingdom except by me. See, the passage in and through the badlands is to follow the way. The way of Jesus is tribulation. That's the way of the cross. Now, for a caveat, I hope everybody's hearing me very clearly, that I'm not saying when you are in hard times, you're walking the badlands, whatever, don't hear me say, suck it up. Please don't hear me say, good, you deserve it, or endure it harder. No, no. Our hope for endurance is to hold fast, cannot be found in, I know it can't be found in my character or my abilities or our talents or our strength, but only in the Lord's. Our ability to endure is to remember, no, no, I've got a bunch of limits. I've got a, a bucket load of weakness. But I can remember that I do not panic and I look towards Jesus. I look towards the kingdom. I look towards perfect endurance. We do not have perfect endurance. Jesus is perfect endurance. And he will endure even in the moments when we feel that we cannot See, again, even as Paul walks back into Lystra to face the mob, Jesus is Paul's endurance. Paul's a champ, but Jesus is Paul's triumph. Paul, in that moment, is seeking the kingdom, right? That's what he's encouraging these people with, bruises, limbs, who knows, dangling, who knows what's going on with him, blood caked all over him. He walks back in. Jesus is his endurance in that moment. So, I would love for our church to be very expecting of hardships, and, but to remember with every single hardship, our response is yet to be determined. So how will you respond? How are you responding? I get not everybody is in that place right now, but you will be soon. You will be at one point. You will be tonight or tomorrow or whenever. That is something that none of us can escape how then will you respond? And so I would say as a friend, I would implore as a friend, please do not give up. Please do not give up. Please do not quit. Do not give up 
when waiting on God seems endless. Do not give up when your reputation, your reputation is damaged because you're being obedient to Jesus. Do not give up when you labor in obscurity, waiting, waiting for Jesus to be able to acknowledge your work, wondering if any of this matters. Do not give up when the harvest does not look promising in your missional efforts or at your work. Please do not give up when you feel attacked because we're not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. I beg that you guys do not give up for your requested prayers and have not yet been answered. Please do not give up when things are not going your way. Please do not give up when you feel that deep soul weariness. How about this one? Do not give up when that familiar sin is crouching at the door, waiting to pounce and to tempt. Do not give up, do not wallow, do not flounder, do not look back, do not stop. For that very passage that you are on is the very passage that leads towards the kingdom of God, towards triumph over tribulation. Amen? So right now, we can put that belief into behavior. Right now, in this very moment, we can respond and put that belief into behavior. We can, in this moment, set our hearts on the kingdom of God, where Jesus reigns on the way, the truth, and the life that leads us there. So in our time of response right now, we're going to look at Jesus. Allow me to read this verse, sort of set our time together. It's in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, meaning many men and women who have gone through the badlands before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so clings which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the, rain that is set, the race that is set before us, Looking to who? Jesus. Are we looking to ourselves? No, we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The most tangible expression of Christ's endurance is here in communion on my right and on my left. These representative elements, friends, Christians, this is for you. These representative elements of his body being torn apart and his blood that was spilt. So Christians, as you come and you take the double stack cup and when you go and eat it, allow the reflection and the remembrance of his endurance be inspiration for your endurance. And for those of you right now who just want to call it quits, if you're ready to give up, if you're frustrated, if you're over it, will you please let us pray for you? On that back wall and on that back wall, people are going to be praying. They want to pray over you. They're going to have lanyards. Go to them and receive prayer. If you're in a crazy time, if your heart is struggling, or you just want prayer, please receive prayer tonight. And lastly, one of the greatest ways to relocate a heart is through song. It's through song. Worship, I don't know if you guys know this about worship or about song. It's this, it's this, it's this medication Worship is this medication of sorts that honestly, sometimes we need to endure it. Meaning, when we'd rather not sing, when we'd rather not kneel, when we'd rather not lift our arms due to possibly being in the badlands, then tonight, practice your perseverance by singing with one another, especially if you would rather remain silent. Sound good? So with all that, will you stand with me as I pray over you?